0: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to FASD Family Life, the podcast for families by families raising children and youth with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Robbie Seal, And today I've got a wonderful guest with me. Her name is Yamna, and she is the Regional research coordinator for this really interesting study I stumbled across. And I honestly, I can't remember exactly where I found it. Maybe it was Facebook or through a email thread. But nevertheless, I thought you all would be really interested in this study. It's called Ready or Not RCT Study. And it's really interesting. And so I'm going to ask my guest Yomna to jump in now, introduce herself and just tell us all about this fascinating project.
1: Awesome. Hi, everyone. So, yeah, like Robbie said, my name is Yamna. I am the research, the regional research coordinator for the study, and a research coordinator at the Autism Research Center in the Glen Rose. Um, So, the Ready or Not study is a really, really interesting study. And the main goal of the study was to find a way to help children move from pediatric care to adult care. And how can we best support that transition for them? Um, And so the study created this app. It's called the My Ready Transition BBD app. And BBD just stands for brain-based ba- brain disability. So the app has 19 sections. Each section takes about 20 minutes to complete. And it kind of walks you through what questions to ask in the hospital. What information do you need to move towards t- like taking care of your own health when you turn 18 and need to transition out of pediatric care? Um, So the way that we do this study is we have an eligibility criteria. So the study is for anyone who's 15 to 17 and a half. It, it's for anyone who has one of these um, diagnoses. So either autism spectrum disorder, fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, cerebral palsy, spina bifida, or epilepsy. And they need to just be starting to think about transitioning. So if like we want to make sure that, you know, that this is the right time for them. Sometimes you don't want to do this right now. There's other things going on and we understand that. So that's just a third criteria. This is something they're interested in and want to start thinking about. And then what we do is we do like a screening call where we just have asked a few questions to the parents and the youth. And and then we complete the baseline visit where they get to do some questionnaires and have a conversation with me and then they get randomized. So you either get put into the control group or the intervention group. So in the control group, you don't use the app for six months and you just go about your daily life. And then in the intervention group, you get to use the app for six months. You get to complete the 19 sections on your own time. And at the end of the sixth month, both groups will complete their six month visit and wrap up the study. Um, the reason we do that is just because we want to see a difference between both groups. And that's why we don't open up the app to everyone. But we do give a chance for the control group at the end of the study to be able to use the app, so that. So then everyone will have a chance to try it out. Um, and we see if this, if this makes a difference, if this is, um, something that like youth can have in their toolkit as they go on to adult care, something that they can use to learn more information and to refer back to. And that is kind of just the general idea of the study. Well, thank you very
0: much. Amna. I remember when I stumbled across it and I thought, my goodness, my girls are 16, nearly 17. Mm-hmm. When, when I found this, and I thought now is the time that the systems around my family were telling me that it's time to look at transitions so begin that preparation of transitioning from, like you said, pediatric care to adult care. Yeah. So I thought the study would be really interesting for my girls. Well, little did I know, they didn't think it was interesting. I still think it's very interesting. And I'm going to encourage them, perhaps incentivize them to participate in the study. I thought it was would be really helpful for two things. I thought, first of all, it would help if the parent is aware of how how the kids are faring or as they're kind of processing some of the questions, I thought it might give us kind of a read on how ready our kids are mm-hmm. um, to handle some things on their own as seventeen year olds. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know that with the autism community and the uh, FASD community there's this there can be a very significant dismaturity or a lack of ability to to advocate for oneself or communicate clearly or even very importantly understand what is being said. So I thought this tool would be really helpful to actually give us concrete guidance as to, okay, is my kid ready or not? Other thing I was really hoping it would do was kind of illuminate for my girls who feel confident that perhaps they're not as able as they're not quite as ready as they will be someday to advocate for themselves. Mm -hmm. So I thought it might be useful for me to and for other parents, perhaps like it's a very important tool for our kids to develop some readiness skills, but also for us to be able to have a conversation with the kids like, okay, maybe you're not quite ready. What about if we do a shared decision making where or we have um, some kind of documentation where it says mom or dad still have to be in the room with you as an adult receiving medical or psychiatric care?
1: Yeah, I mean, honestly, every family is different. And this is like, I mean, it's really important. The cool thing about this app is that it was made by it was a kind of like a collaborative effort with parents who have children with any of these diagnoses by the by the youth themselves and the teenagers and young adults themselves, as well as with doctors and researchers. So this app was kind of a nice collaborative effort um, using that model of just taking everybody into consideration. The study has something called the PFAC, which is the parent um, and family counsel that kind of helps. And and when and we consult about a lot of our decisions and every family is different. And the point of the app is really to be informative for children, for the youth to see where they're at and what they need to learn um, and to just give them a little bit more independence that as they transition to adult care. And I know sometimes it's hard because parents really want their kids to be in the study. And sometimes it's like the youth aren't interested in and ethically, like we will need definitely consent from both the parents and the youth and for both of them to agree to be part of the study i mean it's it's it would be better if like, obviously, like, they're invested in in learning right <laughs> and they want to learn and it's okay if this is not the right time like uh the study we're ending recruitment december 31st and it's completely fine if this is not the right time i'm happy to share like transition tip sheets with parents if they don't want to be part of the study like oh, we have you this like little to me i love uh, that. there's like a little there's like a little tip sheet and if even if like maybe the study's not the right time for you like i would be happy to do that as well. Yeah. Okay. That's very cool.
0: So Mm -hmm. I will, maybe I can link if that's a PDF or something, I could link that in the show notes. I can link the uh, way to contact you, and way to enroll in the study in the show notes as well. Mm -hmm. I love that idea about tips for transitions because it's a big deal and there's a lot for parents and youth to be aware of. And I love, I love the uh, concept that you guys have that it's okay if the kids aren't ready. And to that point, I wrote to you, Yamna, in, um, I think it was January or February going, Hey, Mm -hmm. I think this is really awesome. And at that point, my kids had just turned 16. Mm -hmm. And so you, we had a conversation and then you chatted with my girls and my twins and they both went, nah, I'm not interested. And so I asked you if you would follow up and, you know, in a number of months and here you are, you have, and I appreciate that. So I'm going to come back around to it now that my girls have been introduced to the idea now they're 17 maybe now this is something more on their horizon but I appreciate that flexibility how many participants do you have in your study
1: okay so just in Alberta right now we have about nine participants but I think I need to double check these numbers because I don't want to guess but I think we have like about 30 to 40 across Canada so far um And we are definitely like trying to do like a big recruitment push up until the end of December to get as many as we want. It was definitely an interesting thing to have a study during the pandemic. The entire pandemic was a recruitment period (laughs) and a lot was happening, you know, kids were getting pulled in and out of school. Parents were homeschooling and then not homeschooling. Um, So it was definitely really interesting and we wanted to be as understanding as possible obviously if we could we would have the recruitment last as long as possible mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but that's just not how studies <laughs> work so it's been going on since about March of 2020 the study
0: and it's going to be yeah
1: sorry I was gonna say it was like it started more in like the end of 2019 but every region okay. started at a different time so with Alberta right. I started more like recruitment around January and February of 2020
0: right yeah. and you said it's a Canadian study and it's got yeah. four regions why don't you go ahead and talk about that a little bit
1: Sure. So, like I said, it's four regions. Our main region is, is McMaster. I mean, that, that university is the one who is heading the study and it's run by, um, Dr. Jan Wilhelm Gorder, as well as the coordinators is like Barb Galeppe and Natalie McBurg, and also like so many people. Like <laughs> the study has a lot of people and it's definitely a huge collaborative effort. And yeah, and, and we had a lot of interesting conversations, not only about how do we disseminate this information to youth, but as well as like to making sure that there's a bilingual, like mm-hmm. app that French Canadians can use, right? And that also created a really interesting conversation in a lot of our meetings and also making sure that it's accessible everywhere and making sure that we we wanted to make sure that it was something that youth actually enjoyed <laughs> playing on their apps because we know we're competing now with all the other apps that are maybe a little <laughs> more fun. So there's definitely a lot of really interesting conversations working together.
0: What's the feedback been from youth that, that have engaged in in the app?
1: we are actually going to be doing qualitative interviews at the end of our study where we're going to, and this is an optional part. So you can be part of the main study and not do any qualitative interviews, but we did give the option for people to do qualitative interviews where they, we have conversations with people who are in the, in the intervention group, both the parents and the youth um, about what it was like to use the app. So I think that would be like the most, the best information. Um, so far, like some youth have liked it. I haven't, we're, I've just started getting people starting their six-month visits right now. um, But so far, I think some youth have liked it and some youth have had maybe feedback and we'll definitely take that into consideration. I mean, the hope is to make the app like good, right? Like that's what we want, to make it interactive and good. And this feedback is helpful,
0: yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's a Canadian study since late 2019. It will conclude December 31st of 2020. Twenty-one. One. I can't even know what year I'm in right now.
1: Right. Um,
0: <laughs> And it's a big push. So it's not too late. It's not too late for families to register. And it's really interesting. I think that this app is through the autism research focus, but I love that you've opened it up to a wider community of people who have neurodiverse challenges or brain based disabilities. I think that's so important. And I will really love to highlight this within the FASD community, because we know that FASD is far more prevalent even than autism. So hopefully this will reach a larger community that will be willing and interested in engaging with you and give you some really good information because those two demographics while similar are also different
1: yeah so exactly
0: good information for your study and what happens now because I don't know how this works what happens when the uh, study concludes this app is this app now dormant does is, does this app go into um, access to the public how can like is it useful beyond the course of the study
1: that is those are all really great questions, questions that we're having conversations <laughs> that we're having right now, so immediately will happen after like so we will conclude recruitment december thirty first you can still be part of the study and then it'll end six months after that, so the last six month visit will happen from december thirty first six months later, and after that, what we'll be doing is analyzing the data, so we will see if this app made a difference, and if it didn't, that's we have to have a conversation about that because. We do want the app to be useful, right? It's not just another thing to make show, like youth do. Um, it has to be useful for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be the next step is we'd first analyze all the results. And usually with studies, after you analyze the results, you publish the work and we want to always make things accessible to families. So when we publish, I was hoping we could, I could, I'll just email the families in the study and be like, yeah, yeah. the paper's out. <laughs> you yeah, yeah. can read it. Um, and yeah, and we, and we see where we're going to go from there. I mean, I think honestly, like, the utopian like ultimate goal is this app is accessible to everyone right that anybody who wants to use it can use it and that's what we want almost every app to be for it to be accessible, um, but I think we are still a little ways away from that just having to analyze the data first yeah.
0: That's fair. Yeah, you have to do a quality analysis of it to see, does this exactly. app actually make any difference? Uh, were there any glitches? Is there is there some wording that might need to be changed? Or, you know, is there a better way of delivering it? You know, all that sort of thing. So mm-hmm. that'll be interesting to um, have have more people uh, participate. And the regions, you listed off for me, the regions are Ontario, Quebec, the Maritimes, and Alberta.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Wonderful. And so in my show notes, um, I will... Put the link to the, just the website. And then from the website, families in these various regions can contact their regional coordinators. Is that accurate?
1: Families. If like, if you're, let's say in Alberta, or Ontario, you just contact the regional coordinator of that site. And even if, let's say you contact me, I just refer you to the regional coordinator. Okay. And, and like, for example, Barb has referred people to me who like contacted her <laughs> and they're like in Alberta. Awesome. So, yeah. If you reach anyone in the study, we, we talk to each other and we make sure to get you to the right
0: person okay. awesome well you yeah. get me all the names emails and contact information yes, I'll definitely. throw it all in the show notes and when I release the podcast I'll also link it to my Facebook page too just to help elevate the work yeah I think that would be really great yeah. and um yeah so I guess as a research, what got you interested in doing research for a community that has brain-based disabilities
1: That's uh, honestly a great question. So I have been really interested in working with youth for a long time. So I've been volunteering with Boys and Girls Club and and I've always really wanted to work with children. I wasn't sure um, in what capacity I wanted to work with children. So I dabbled as every university student does. I was like, I'm going to try everything. (laughs) So I joined a research lab. Um, And I volunteered there and I volunteered in two different labs. One was like a developmental psychology lab. And one was a lab that actually catered to you club FASD. It's called the ACERT lab. And it's it's run by Dr. Carmen and Dr. Jackie Pye. And that is where like my interest really started. And I started realizing this was such, a, such an interesting topic as well as like sometimes maybe like, like you said before, not one that is well known or well, maybe like represented enough or talked about enough and, and with that, I just started to wanting to expand my experience and learn more. Um, and I applied to be a research assistant at the Autism Research Center. And I was lucky enough to work with a great team here. And I was there for two years. And recently, I transitioned to becoming a research coordinator here. Um, honestly, I think research is really important. I think it's a way for us to learn information, as well as, like, there's a lot that we also need to change about research and how we do it to make sure that it is, like, more relevant Easier, like that, it's communicated clearly and easily to the population that it serves, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think so. I, I love your journey. That's really cool. You were like, yeah. you're working with youth. What else is available to work with kids? Like, you know, yeah. it isn't all front facing. It isn't all, yeah. um, although you do get some front facing time with kids, but you aren't right on the, you know, you aren't right down in the trenches. You're in a nice, mm-hmm. kind of clean clinical environment. You have the opportunity to meet the kids yeah. and their caregivers. And to get a sense of what some of those struggles are, and then how can research move forward the interventions, how can we become more adapted and more, um, you know, fine tuned what we're providing for people who are in the trenches like parents and the youth themselves. And I know, as a parent raising four kids with FASD, I've appreciated mm-hmm. the work of of researchers, and we've been we have participated in studies at the Glen Rose, where you said mm-hmm. you're located, the Glen Rose FASD studies. And I really value that work. So uh, which is why I invited you to speak on the podcast today because I wanted to elevate the work that you're doing, the elevate elevate the work of this particular study. and it's my hope that going forward, I will have opportunity to speak with other researchers and 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 share with the people that listen to this podcast um what what research is available what they might be interested in and how they might be able to participate so that you know I'm serving my community by sharing the research information and that also serves your community by giving you more participants I hope
1: (laughs) no we thank you and we really really appreciate it I mean honestly like research does not happen without the parents and the youth right like this is we are us? your guinea pigs. You need us. <laughs> exactly. We need you. Like a, I like to think of it as like a mutually beneficial relationship. That's the best way, right? That we, we help each other out. And I definitely in a, a lot of the work I've done, like what parents do and, and all that like the extra time to be even involved in research aside from your own responsibilities always amazes me. Because it's it is like it is completely voluntary. You don't like, need to be. Yeah. Doing it, right. Like it's extra time, and you can withdraw at any time. And parents do all of it. They do the come in and do the assessments and fill out all the questionnaires and do the phone oh, interview.
0: We are experts at questionnaires.
1: <laughs> we may we might hate them
0: because yeah. they are you know what. And from a parent perspective, I'll just drop this one on you. And you've probably heard it before. Mm-hmm. And then we'll just wrap it up. But sure sometimes as parents, when we do fill out the questionnaires, that to to do so usefully for research or to do so usefully for an evaluation, we often on paper have to depict our child in their worst possible state. Yeah, we know what that can look like for our child. And we know how stressful that is Mm -hmm. to, um, to meet our kids in that place. But it is so heartbreaking for us as parents to actually have to write it down on paper that says my child does, you know has does not have adaptive functioning in this area or struggles in that area yeah. and so while I recognize it's very important for research and it's very important if we are to get any kind of services that we need it's also really heartbreaking for us as parents like it, it elevates our stress in that day and maybe even the day after because we've had to kind of call to mind the realities of the struggles our kids face. So I appreciate your sensitivity yeah. and your warm demeanor too, because that really helps us to create the safe yeah. space where we can be vulnerable. Cause it's, it's hard to be that vulnerable. Um, and to be that, that transparent with, this is what life can really be like for our families.
1: Exactly. And, and we understand, like, I mean, those questioners can be tough and they can ask tough questions and, and that they are just depicting like, I mean, as much as they can on paper. It's not a 3D full mm-hmm. picture of who your child is and their personality and the amazing things about them. And there's a lot, right? A person is complicated. Um, but these questionnaires can only go so far and that can be really hard too.
0: Absolutely. So I, yeah.
1: yeah, I love that. It's just
0: important yeah. to recognize that, I think. And for parents, like I know I felt that too, but then I have to remember, okay, well, this this document is, serves a purpose, but yeah. it isn't it isn't the entirety of my child. Like my child mm-hmm. is, just like you indicated, is multifaceted with yeah. strengths and personality and temperament and interests and, mm-hmm. and areas of struggle, but lots of areas of hope too. So we just need yeah. to bear that in mind and just kind of get through the tough stuff sometimes. Well... Well, Yamna, thank you so much for your time and sharing about this really interesting study with me called the Ready or Not Study. I think it's fantastic kind of helping kids to identify what are some of the skills that they need to transition from pediatric care to adult care. And that's a big yeah. step. So yeah. thank you very much.
1: No, Thank you so much for having me on here. Really, really. I enjoyed our conversation.
0: Me too. Me too. Okay. Well, and I look forward to hopefully speaking with you again about some future research. Who knows where, what study you're coordinating next. And so we will have this ongoing dialogue, I hope.
1: Definitely. Of course. Thank you so much.
0: No problem. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation I had with Yamna of the Ready or Not study. I thought it was really interesting, and I, I hope you do too. And if you're in Canada and you have a child within the correct age range, uh, 15 to 17, I think she said it was, I hope you participate in the study because the more information we can give them about our children with FASD, the more uh, they can develop an app that speaks to the needs of our kids. So if you can participate, I encourage you to do so. And I want you to know that uh, FASD Family Life Podcast is here for you too. It's a podcast for families by families raising children and youth with FASD. And I have some really uh, fun episodes coming up. I have an episode coming up very soon with uh, Barb Clark of NACAC, and she's going to talk with us about a new FASD training that they're having a conference, one-day conference, and so I encourage you to participate in that. That will that episode will be coming out in a couple of days. Also, at the end of the week, we're going to talk about Christmas. Ooh. we're going to talk about holiday sanity, sanity savers and some ideas that I've gathered in my research to help you prepare uh, to have a nice, relatively calm Christmas uh, day with your family. I hope that sharing my experiences and my FASD education with you will help you feel connected to someone who knows what it is you're going through. And I can offer a little education, encouragement, and empowerment to you as you raise your kids with FASD. If you found this episode on Facebook or LinkedIn, please drop a comment in the comment section. And I would appreciate it if you leave a five-star rating wherever you get your podcasts in Apple or Stitcher, iHeartRadio, wherever you listen, that signals to the algorithms that this podcast is relevant and of interest to people who want to learn more about FASD. So that's how you can serve our community as well. And I would love to hear from you. If you have a question that you'd like me to address on the show, You can email me or if you have an idea for a topic or you have a struggle, email the show at fasdfamilylife at gmail.com or message me on Facebook. I will do my best to address it via email and on the show so we can all learn and grow together. Thank you for sharing your time with me. I know it's precious and until next week or next episode, remember the struggle is real but so is success. I'll speak with you soon.